This is from Luke, the first chapter. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and the Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength from his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, dear Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, my mom is the youngest of seven kids, which means I have a lot of cousins who are a lot older than me for the most part. Um, and surprisingly, uh, we still are like all pretty good friends. We're pretty close. Um, originally, you know, our relationship was a little bit more of um, you know, I would watch, my, me and the younger cousins would watch my older cousins play euchre and make sure no one was cheating. That was our, our role. We didn't play, but, you know, we got to watch to make sure no one was cheating. Um, or they would count and they would, they would see how fast we could run around the house. You know, what a great game that was, you know. Uh, and I'm sure they counted really diligently uh, and never made up the number when we got back. Uh, I'm sure they were always counting for us. Uh, we always go up north every year. We go up to Sleeping Bear Dune. It's an area still. Um, they had like a 40-year anniversary of it, a, like four years ago. So I think we're at like 44 years or something like that, um, where we all rent cabins and hang out together and go on hikes. Um, and I love hanging out with all of them. And our relationships have changed over the years, and are different, but we all love each other very much, uh, and we love being together. Uh, but I actually haven't seen them for like two years at this point. Uh, I've gotten to see my brothers, you know, in COVID-friendly ways, but in general, we haven't had like a large family hangout for two years. Uh, part of that is because people are spread out and traveling's hard. Part of that is trying to be really safe for COVID. Um, some of it is just busyness, schedules, being married, you know, having to go see in-laws instead of just coming back to family. But when we do get the chance to catch up, it's this really weird thing 
where it's either this fire hose of information coming at you of, you know, the past eight months of their life that you haven't had the chance to see them and you're just trying to absorb everything that they're telling you. They have a new job and a new house and also a child and what happened. Or it's kind of just this like weird small talk because how do you tell someone everything that's happened to you in a year and it's been a COVID year and it's been wild and crazy and what is there really to say? There's this disconnection, there's this lost moments a little bit where we're trying to reconnect in those moments, but it's a little bit harder than it used to be. I also recently saw an article um, about how masks uh, and social distancing is really raising our collective social anxiety. Part of that is, you know, COVID in general making us more anxious but in, you know, not being in large groups often. But I think some of it is the disconnection that we feel from each other uh, because of masks. And, you know, I am not saying that we need to stop because connection is more important, but I do think there is something that we have lost. There's a piece of connection that we've lost. You know, facial expressions can't be read. Social cues are missed. It kind of reminds me a little bit of how when we get on our computers and on our phones and have the internet, we kind of have this mask of anonymity that frees us but also disconnects us. It's easier to dehumanize the other person. It's harder to read tone. You can't really tell exactly what someone is saying. People type things you would never expect them to. Uh, people observe but don't engage. They kind of just hover. And people attack more viciously when they don't have to really engage with the human being behind on the other side of the screen. Along with that disconnection, there's this injustice in our world that we've been seeing. Uh, COVID has exasperated things that have always been a part of our country, uh, but it's a little bit easier now to see when there's increased risk for people of color to get uh, COVID. The discrepancies in hospitals and medical centers in low-income areas and the lack of vaccines for certain groups in certain areas of the country. There's real deep injustice in our world, in Detroit, in the nation, everywhere. Now, if we turn to our text, Mary was not in a very good spot. Uh, she was a teenager pregnant out of wedlock, which is not exactly a great time nowadays. And so I can hardly imagine what it would be like for her. And when I say teenager, I really do mean like the, the 13, 14 section of teenager and not the 18, 19 section of teenager. She's young. But more than that, You've got this final line, you know, that I actually didn't read. Um, she ends up staying with Elizabeth after she comes to see her for three months. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to, like, guess too much because I don't know too much about, you know, pregnancy and those times, but I don't know if those three months was just to hang out with the cousins, and that might have been a little bit more to hide away from her hometown. That might have been to hide her condition a little bit. 
On a grander scale, Mary and Elizabeth are living in a conquered nation. They are living in a world where the census is called by the Roman emperor, where they pay steep taxes, and where they're less than others. They have less rights, less power. They're women in their world. And I know often we read the Roman Empire in like history books as this grand and beautiful thing that connected the Rome with the Roman road and it's so cool and awesome and wow, let's like study these empires and how cool they are. But for a conquered nation, it's quite a different story, much more violent with a lot more loss of autonomy, of life, and of people. In the uh, books of the Bible that we don't necessarily have, uh, in between, uh, there's First and Second Maccabees, and that's all about uh, Jewish uprisings against the Roman Empire and the struggles that they had, the pain, the suffering at the hands of the Roman Empire. So we have Mary and Elizabeth in a world where they're less than, in a conquered nation. And it's just them together, two cousins, in a very similar situation, pregnancy. I feel like that's probably something that binds you a little bit closer together with someone, a connection point. But they're having very different experiences of a very same pregnancy. We've got Mary, who's young and unwed and unexpected. And Elizabeth is unexpectedly pregnant in a very different way. She's old to the point that her husband and her never anticipated her having a child, to the point where Zechariah questions God when he says that they are going to have a child. She's known for being devout and righteous. She's the wife of a priest. I mean, how much like more high in society can you get to be respected? So I, I think they're 40, you know, 50, who knows, year age difference might have put a damper on some of that cousin bonding that you might naturally have when you're a kid. There's this huge difference between them. But together they celebrate, they rejoice, they sing, they are together in community. What's holding them together? I think you can argue, you know, blood relations, you know, their country, their shared experience with pregnancy. But when we look around the world right now, those things aren't necessarily what's holding us together. And often those are the things that are making it the most difficult to be in community with others. I wonder if it has more to do with Christ and the Holy Spirit in that moment that allows them to find joy to find connection and to find community in this time of unrest, in this time of unknown, in this painful time of pregnancy. The Holy Spirit is connecting them in this moment. You have Elizabeth prophesying, you have Mary prophesying, to coming together with joy and hope of salvation and love. The love for each other and for God and for their future children is binding them together. So in this community, Mary does what every mother does, you know, after announcing a pregnancy. And she jumps into a prophetic song about the salvation of the world and reversal of power. Didn't most of you do that after you did your gender reveal? Isn't that kind of the next step? 
I think sometimes when we have this, we have Mary's song, the Magnificat, it's known in the Christian world. People have been singing and putting it to music for a long, long time. It's often really beautiful music, but I think we forget the ferocity that's behind it. Did you hear some of those words and phrases that Mary puts in here? We've got, for he has shown strength in his arms, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich sent away empty. Those aren't exactly like good tidings for all people, you know? Like, there's definitely a winner and a loser in that situation. Mary isn't just singing a gentle song for us to fall asleep to. It's not a lullaby for Jesus. It's a prophecy. And just as a little aside here, it says Mary's song in the Bible often during that part. Um, that's not a part of the original Greek or anything. That's English people putting in Mary's song. Um, and I'm just going to throw it out there that maybe that's a little sexism, maybe, because uh, her words are actually uh, reflective of Micah, of Isaiah, of some parts of First Samuel. Um, and she sings it, and it's obviously a song, the way that it's written, but the, the verb tenses that she uses are actually the, the same verb tense that doesn't exist in English, but that all prophets use, this orist tense that's past and future, that's now and not yet, that's God did these things and will continue to do these things. It's continuous. God will bring up the lowly and has brought up the lowly and will continue to do so. He has filled the hungry with good things in the past and will continue to do so. She's looking to the future saying, this is what God will do. She's prophesying. She is claiming the good news of great joy for her people. She's living into the now and not yet of the Advent gift that she has been given. We are also blessed with an incarnational God. We are blessed with an embodied God who's willing to be here, to be with us, and to show what it is to be human. Jesus and his example of love, his moving, his reversal of power, leads us towards unity with each other. Jesus bridges the differences that we feel among ourselves, the differences, the disconnections, and God says, no, let's be together. Surround yourselves with my love, and we can be together. Follow me, and we will be together, walking towards the same goals. We have a Christ who understands disconnection, who understands what it's like to be separated from God, who understands what it's like to be disconnected from each other, who maybe even understands what it's like to feel so busy that you can't even remember what you're supposed to be doing at the same time. Even as we're in a different time and space and place and mindset than Mary, we can be a part of the Magnificat that she sings. Christ binds us together with the love that compels us to join in with her song and her joy and her prophecy. No matter if we identify with the lowly or with the powerful. 
our joy and celebration of Christ and what Jesus means to us should still transform us to move like Mary, to seek that world that says, no, this is not as it should be, that says, no, we are not going to allow ourselves to become disconnected. We are not going to separate each other. We are going to work together so that all are loved and lifted up, so that the lowly are lifted up, so that the hungry are filled and the proud are brought low. How can we sing Mary's song without living into the Magnificat? I believe that we can do that. I believe that Christ has showed us how, and we can follow in his way, that we can follow the love candle that we light this week. And love is hard and difficult, but it calls us to community above disconnection. Pray with me. God, you are a God that wants to connect with us, that wants to live with us, that wants to be with us. You love us so much that you showed up in a vulnerable state as a child to carry with us love and hope and salvation to teach us your ways. God, help us to recognize disconnection in our life, to work towards love and care for others, to believe in your power and your ability to change the world, to trust that you have and you will continue to care for everyone and to lift up the lowly and fill the hungry. In your name we pray. Amen.